Paul is going to read from Psalm 97, uh, which you might like to have open uh, in your Bibles. Thank you, Janelle. If you're following in your Bibles, you can just turn to the middle and you should land in Psalms or very close to it. Or you can follow on the screen behind me. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols, worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is shed upon the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. Well, I've been on holiday, so you know, so I'm going to start some work now. So uh, let's, let's get the show back on the road here. Uh, it's good to be back, though. It's, um, it's rich and wonderful to have friends in Christ, so I'm, I'm glad to be back here. And it doesn't feel like being at work, so that's, that's important. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for your comforting word. I thank you that uh, you've shed light on our lives through your word. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us uh, to, to feel the weight of this passage and let it be a good grounding for our thoughts about you and, and our lives as your people. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me outline there. I've got the title, Security. And uh, I'm not talking about security guards. I'm talking about uh, feelings and thoughts about security. Uh, I wonder how well you sleep at night. How does your sleep go? Normally, uh, I do pretty well with my sleep. But I've noticed over the years that uh, sometimes I sleep easier at some times in life than at other times of life. And I think the, the reason for that is because life in this fallen world with its ups and downs, it just does not stay the same, does it? And so I think worry and different kinds of worries can affect my sleep. At times I find myself waking up and, I th and I'm thinking about the vastness of the universe and, and how small we are, people and humanities, myself in this vast universe... I think about how short life is. I'm, I'm 50 years old and I don't feel it except when I go and play soccer. I'm a 50-year-old man and I know that I'm, I'm, I've just reached middle age. <laughs> and then I think about the media 
And I think about what's been in the news lately, and Scott mentioned some of the things there in his prayer earlier. Problems like you know, war in the Middle East and, and, and shipping lines that are getting affected by that. You're seeing images of bad guys in helicopters popping down onto ships and capturing them and taking them away. And then I, my mind starts to ruminate and I start to think and wonder and I think, well, we're, a, we're an island nation and, and we depend on things like that for our, for our petrol. And there's only, I Google search it too, there's only so many weeks of petrol supply that our nation's got, something like 27 days. And then I, um, you'll be glad to know, I pull myself together. <laughs> I pull myself together a bit. <laughs> and my worries they start to turn to prayer and I remind myself of God's word and where my true sense of comfort and security is found. And today's psalm is encouraging for, for moments like that when we, when we wake up in our sleep and get worried. It reminds us about where our true sense of security ultimately is found. And here's one of those cute little spoiler alerts, folks. Yeah, spoiler alert, um, the answer... Our security's not found in petrol. That's, that's just a little heads up. Today's psalm is encouraging as it speaks the truth about where our ultimate sense of comfort and security is found. And so let's, friends, now take a look at it. Uh, from the opening verses, opening verse in this psalm, we're greeted with a declaration about reality, ultimate reality. The Lord reigns in verse 1. And this is a psalm of praise. It's, it's praising God as king. It's praising the kingship of God. And after this declaration that the Lord reigns, there's a summons to people about this fact, about this reality. We see it there in verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. You might have had in mind the Greek islands, uh, but it's possibly even just to the ends of the earth. And the point is, in view of this fact that God is king over all and that God rules over all things, there ought to be gladness. There ought to be rejoicing throughout the world, world in response to the kingship of God. These are emotive words, these are feeling words, rejoicing and being glad. This is the psalmist's way of saying there should be a great deal of relief and happiness throughout the world, shouldn't there? Because it is a comfort, it's a wonderful thing to know that somebody's in control. It's a comfort to know and it's a wonderful thing to know that God is on the throne. He's king over all, he is the sovereign. Despite the fact that uh, we're familiar with many names of, of people who sort of give the impression that they're in control, we know that all leaders and all kingdoms come and go too, don't they? Chairman Mao said in a 1938 speech that political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. That's tough talk, isn't it? But where's Chairman Mao now? How much political power does a guy like Chairman Mao have today? Where's Ronald Reagan? 
with his Star Wars program? Where's Colonel Gaddafi with his so many female bodyguards? Where's Saddam Hussein with his Scud missiles? Joseph Stalin, Margaret Thatcher, or to think more likely, Malcolm Fraser and Bob Hawke? Where are they now? All those leaders who look like they're in control. Well, I think we know, don't we? So despite the very impression that earthly, readers, earthly leaders rather have, have got a great deal of control, uh, ultimately we know they're very limited. And ultimately it's the Lord who reigns. He's the sovereign one over all things and he is in complete control. Oftentimes our leaders are trying to give the impression that they're in control. That's why when there's a riot, they try to bring a police presence and get on the media fast just to give a sense that, that somebody's in control. But the fact is, uh, they're trying to give that impression to calm things down. But we know from the word of God, ultimate reality is that God's in complete control. And the psalmist lays that on our minds and our hearts and he's saying it ought to lead to emotions of gladness and rejoicing in us and throughout the world. It's a relief, isn't it? Somebody's in control and it's, it's our good God. The psalmist goes on to give us further reasons to be glad and to rejoice in the Lord who's revealed in history. In verses 2 to 6 we learn that God is majestic and he's just. Verse 2 is a thematic statement if you're following along there. It says, clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. And in the next few verses, we see that um, verses 3 to 5 corresponds with the words in 2a, which is the first clause of verse 2, the thick clouds and darkness. And verse 6 corresponds to the second half of verse 2, that reference to the righteousness and justice of God. The clouds and the thick darkness surround him. Here we're presented with a, an image or an impression of God, of God in his awesome greatness, in his majesty. It's overwhelming. This is what we come to know of the presence of God from Exodus chapter 19, verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. In verse 16, he says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And some commentators point out that this, this thick cloud that surrounds God seems to be almost a type of protective shield so that the very presence of God doesn't obliterate and devastate people. And so it seems that... Uh, for the ones who God's coming to help, they're also protected from his awesomeness. The psalmist is engaging with the, um, the presence of God, but he's also, uh, he starts to unpack that a little more and engages also with something to do with the justice of God in verses 3 to 5. We're told that fire goes out before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning, it's his lightning, lights up the world and the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. 
before the Lord of all the earth. And here God's depicted as some kind of uh, divine and sovereign warrior who defeats his foes. Nothing can stand before him. In fact, later in verse 10, we find out about how God uh, has authority over the oppressors and the hand of the wicked. The image of the storm with the lightning and the subsequent thunder, it's a a fitting metaphor for engagement with this all-powerful God. It's it's his lightning that lights up the world. Now, I've got to say... um, it's a good use of imagery, isn't it, to talk about the power of God? I mean, as a kid, our house got struck by the lightning. It was, uh, it was interesting. I wasn't there at the time, but I had this lovely poor old great aunt who was, I think, even in her 70s or 80s, and she was toddling up the stairs, and the gable of our house got struck by lightning and smashed the sheets, and the neighbours came out across the road to tell us what had happened. We knew what had happened. And so it's, it's interesting, isn't it, when you think about the force of lightning and we know that God stands behind that. He, he's sovereign over the forces of nature and so it's fitting that the psalmist uses the imagery of the storm to talk about the power of God. It's not only the power of God that the psalmist engages with, with though, is it? He starts to talk about the character of God, the nature of the God who rules the universe. And his character is emphasised in verse 2b. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And verse 6 picks up again on this theme. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all peoples see his glory. Saying that the, this righteousness and justice are the base of God's throne is, is poetic language, isn't it? Saying God's God's reign, God's rule is founded on his good character. He, uh, this righteousness word is in Hebrew, it's got to do with fidelity in conduct, right conduct in relationship. And justice is about carrying out right judgments, doing what's right. And the Bible gives us the comforting message that the God of all the universe is good. Isn't that a relief? He is a good God. He's not evil or corrupt. And so the psalmist gives us the message declaring about the reality of life that the Lord reigns. He's majestic, he's just. And on account of that fact, people, people like us, we should be glad. It's a great relief. It's wonderful to know that this good and majestic, just Lord reigns over all. It's a comfort. The psalmist now changes gears a little bit and uh, turns in an opposite direction. It's almost like negative modelling at this point. As he speaks about the opposite of uh, the right response, and it's there in verse 7, since the Lord is king, idolatry is misguided, in verse 7. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols, worship him or you gods. Idol worship was a live option for many in the ancient Near East and in Israel. Archaeological evidence has produced the images of different idols, one of them uh, mini statues of Baal, the storm god, whose name we're familiar with. 
Apparently, Baal worship was popular. It was associated with increased fertility in the land, as one author, R. K. Harrison, notes. He says, The religion of the Canaanite peoples was a crude and debased form of ritual polytheism, which means there's a multitude of gods. It was associated with the sensuous fertility cult worship of a particularly lewd and orgiastic kind, which proved to be more influential than any other nature religion in the Near East. So this Baal worship gained currency, uh, partly the nature of the worship services was easy to get people along, along to apparently. Harrison continues to note, he says, that Baal was thought of by some as a cosmic deity who was the acknowledged head of a pantheon. And so there's these multitudes of gods that they'd worshipped around uh, Israel and Mount Ugarit, and Baal was kind of the head of the pantheon. And that's going to engage with the psalm a little later when, when we start to find out that God is actually the head overall. And he was worshipped by various communities, in various communities under his own name or as Hadad, the storm deity. So this is a bit of Baal worship. But why would anyone be tempted? Why would anyone be tempted to worship some deity or non-entity like this Baal? Well, as people were looking for storms to bring uh, water to the land for their crops and for their livestock, they were tempted to put their security in Baal. That's who they looked for their comfort in. Supposedly, Baal promised much, but as far as God's word's concerned, he delivers nothing. Why would they be tempted to put their trust in Baal? Well, it seems that the nature of their Baal-worshipping ceremonies with some of the things, the lewdness I mentioned earlier, was, it, it was attractive to them. And uh, it seemed to appeal to their sinful nature as well. And so this, this kind of religion gained currency. But this kind of pursuit... Uh, how does it end, friends? Well, it ends badly, doesn't it? We see that in 97 verse 7. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols. The Apostle Paul describes the pursuit of idols as a, it's a quintessential example of foolishness. He says people have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. These idols promised much but they delivered nothing. Worshipping them amounted to exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And as the saying goes, don't buy the lie. Life and security can't be found in a non-entity such as Baal. Life and security can only be found in worshipping the living and true God who gives us life. And yet idols were a feature of that society and they remain, don't they? They remain a feature of our society as well too, don't they? Even if uh, Baal worship hasn't retained its currency or other ancient so-called gods... Uh, in our Western society, we know that there's still idols, isn't there? Anything, an idol's anything that can take the rightful place of God for our worship. 
And even good things can take the place of serving the living and true God. And you know this and I know this, it's close to our heart. Even good things such as holidays, jobs, even family and material possessions, even good things can, uh, can sort of capture our heart, can't it? And uh, tempt us to want to forget about God. Well, isn't it remarkable that a psalm that's written so long ago uh, speaks very clearly into our hearts today? It can warn us about the foolishness of uh, living for other things when forgetting about serving and worshipping the living and true God. Now, whilst the psalmist has said in verse 1, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores rejoice, it's also clear at this point in the psalm that it seems that it's the only the old covenant people who are actually doing this. They're the ones in the psalm who respond rightly to God. Have a look there in verses 8 through to 10, where the faithful in Israel rejoiced in the Lord. Verse 8, Zion hears and rejoices. And the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are most high over all of the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. That's probably a reference back to that pantheon of gods that I was referring to with Baal. God had, in his kindness, saved Israel out of slavery in Egypt and brought her to himself. He made a covenant an agreement at, at Mount Sinai to be their God and for them to be his people. He gave them the law which set the terms for that relationship and described how they were to live as his people. None of the other nations had good laws like that. And as, the, as a nation, they understood who they were. They knew that they were the people of God, the, the people of the Lord of all. And the psalmist notes that in Zion, Mount Zion and the villages of Judah, these are places where there is there's some contentment about that fact. They're glad that they're the people of God. They're glad about the judgments that God makes. Perhaps as we think about this idea about the judgments God makes, they might be reflecting on the fact that God used his mighty acts and judgment to take them out of Egypt. They might be reflecting on the fact that God gave them deliverance as they sought to take and enter the promised land under Joshua. Whatever the specific situation, their confidence is in God who's the just judge. And we see something further of uh, the comfort they can expect from trusting the living and true God in verse 10 where it says, Let those who love the Lord hate evil for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of of the wicked. Do you know as they were to take the promised land, God promised, he said, I'll send my hornet before the people to drive them out. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, we read that Israel was challenged not to fear their enemies, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. They've had the confidence of God, if they, if they walk with the Lord, put their trust in the Lord, he would fight their victories for them. And in view of God's character and his willingness to guard and deliver his people, Israel was glad and could rejoice in the Lord. 
Well, in the final two verses, we see that all God's people are challenged to live in response to the kingship of God. All God's people. A declaration is made in verse 11. You can see it there. Light is shed upon the righteous and joy on the upright of heart. And in view of that, in verse 12, readers are summoned to respond. And it's in the imperative. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. As this, it's as though this psalm is uh, pointing out the advantages of, of knowing about what's actually being spoken in the psalm. As readers read this psalm and understand light, life rather, in the light of this psalm, uh, they become enlightened. They've got light shed on them. This psalm sheds light on a view of reality that's a God-centric one. It's the authorised view of reality. As they understand life and reality from the point of view of this psalm, they, they're enlightened. They can see that it's a foolish thing to go and worship created things like idols. They can see that the living and true, is, it's his universe and he's in control of it. It's an enlightening thing to see life through the lens of this psalm. And I must say, even uh, at these points in time when I wake up and my heart skips a beat because I have a bit of arrhythmia, I, I, think about these, uh, I think about these good and deep truths and, and it's a comfort to know that, yes, that's true. I am 50 years old. Life is pretty short. And for some of you, it's probably a bit shorter than me. <laughs> but it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter because it's God's universe. He's in control and he's a good God. That's the comfort that this psalm gives us. And so we can face our years out in the knowledge that God's in control. And so we should be among those who, who find our ultimate sense of security in the Lord. We should find our, our feelings of comfort and joy from psalms like this that will remind us we can take our comfort in the God who's there, in the knowledge that he's a majestic and just king who reigns over all things as the all-powerful God. It's good stuff, isn't it, really, when you think about the richness of this psalm which evokes our emotions and reminds us who we worship and serve. These things we should be letting sink into our hearts today and take it into the week with us, friends, because when the day comes when you're stressed out, it's going to be good to come back to God's word, which sets the substrate for our emotions. This sets the ground for our hope as God's people. Getting a bit excited there. As readers of the New Covenant, we're members of the New Covenant. And we've come to know the King of all the universe as our God too, haven't we? As we've come to put our trust in Jesus, we've come to know God as our King. That's what we see in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. We read, that, For he, which is talking about God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. As we've come to faith in Jesus, we enjoy life with 
God who's king. We've been redeemed, and it's not from Egypt. I've never been to Egypt. We've been redeemed from something more important than that. We've been redeemed from our sins. And as we come into faith in Jesus, we shift. Life shifts. It's from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God. And we stand in the kingdom of today as God's people. We're in the kingdom of God as we come under the kingship of Jesus and we anticipate the fullness of it when he returns. In a world of uncertainty, in a world where the media shows bad guys choppering in on the galaxy leader and taking ships away, I mean, in some ways that's the least of our problems at one level. There's other health problems and stresses in our life that are a lot closer to home. But in a world of uncertainty, when we face problems with our sleep, and we know that life doesn't stay the same, there's ups and downs. Today's psalm is a comfort to us, friends. It's a comfort to God's people. And it reminds us that our ultimate sense of comfort and security is found in the Lord of all. And because we live under the kingship, since we've come to Jesus as as our king, uh, we can join the psalmist, can't we, and rejoice in the Lord. We can be glad in the Lord too. So let's, um, there's your application point, by the way. Let's rejoice in the Lord uh, this week. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for who you are, for your majesty and for your character. We thank you that uh, you reign over all. And we thank you that we can find our, our security ultimately in you. Lord, we thank you that you're a good God who cares for us and has provided us for a way to enjoy life with you out of the dominion of darkness and into your kingdom. And we look forward to uh, your kingdom to come in all its fullness in the future. Lord, we thank you that you've called us to be your people and we pray that you'd help us uh, to seek to live our lives for your glory and honour. Help us to build each other up today in Christ. And we give you thanks for this word today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.